get a chance, grab a Bible and head over to John chapter 19. It's going to feel a little like deja vu from last week. as uh, It's the same little passage we'll be reading, but we're focusing in on a different aspect here. Uh, so it's a, a bit of a review. You might remember that uh, as Jesus was being crucified upon the cross, there were seven different statements that, that Jesus makes. And, and we're going through each of these statements as we're headed towards Easter. Uh, the first week we considered... Jesus' prayer, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then in week two, we focus on the words that Jesus spoke to his mother and to the apostle John uh, as they were standing at the foot of the cross, and he said to him, uh, Woman, behold your son. And then week three, we considered what Jesus meant when, when, he, when he asked, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then last week, we had the, the short passage. Uh, simply, uh, uh, you know, as we looked at the hidden depths of that statement, I thirst. And this week we have a, an equally short passage. This week we're looking at this fifth statement when, when Jesus says, it is finished. So we're going to read it in context. And like I said, it's the exact same passage as last time. So we'll be starting John 19, verse 28. Uh, you can follow along with your eyes as I read aloud. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, and so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Grass withers and the flower fades. Let's pray. Lord God, we are coming to your word, and we are focusing on this tiny little phrase, that Jesus, our Savior, spoke from the cross. This phrase that is pregnant with meaning, filled with hope and, and rest. Help us to understand it this morning for the, for the joy of our faith. Lord, we ask that you'd put away from our minds all the, the many rabbit trails of thoughts which uh, we tend to chase after. And we ask that you'd keep us from distraction this morning, that you'd uh, give us hearts this morning that desire to grow in minds that can understand your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think as humans, as people, we, we like to, to finish things. I, uh, a few years ago, I can remember as, uh, as uh, we made our final payment on, on college loans. I think it took us, what, 12 years to finally pay them off. And I can picture Laura still to this day standing or sitting at the computer and pressing the button to make the very last payment. And her arms go up and she's shouting something like, finally, you know, we, we finally accomplished this thing we've been working at for so long. Um, you know, it, it feels good when we finish something. Uh, students, you know the feeling when the, the semester comes to an end and you're stressed, but you get that last paper in. You, you take your final exam and suddenly you're, you're done for a while, right? Uh, the Army, maybe you're, you're used to these deployments, but you get close to the end and you're counting down the days. And when it's finally over, there's uh, excitement for, for those of you deployed and those of you who they're returning home to. I think in our homes, there's just endless amount of things that we are, we're checking off and finishing, you know. We've got that, that moment of joy when the dishes are all finally clean and it's the way it should be. Or the, the laundry, there's nothing left dirty to be cleaned. Or diapers, or feeding the family, or just about anything else that you get this excitement of, we're done with that. Um, I, I keep my life organized by this, this app. It's called Tick Tick. It's a dumb name, but a great app. 
Um, and it's a to-do list item. I put everything on there that I need to do, and, and there's things that are repeated daily, some things that are repeated weekly, and it just helps me from completing things. And there's this, this satisfying uh, feeling every time I get to check one of those off, and it makes this little noise, and it beeps, and it, it, it kind of, you know, the, the reward of checking something off. Um, and so on a, a rare occasion, I actually complete every one of the items that's on that list, and it pops up on this, this app. There's this picture of a palm tree, right? So I'm picturing myself on an island. Uh, and it says, you're all done, enjoy the day. And that is the most satisfying thing for me to see. And I know that, that you know, I'm a dork. Um, it shouldn't satisfy me that much. Uh, but it does. And, and yet the very next day, I, I wake up. And when I wake up, tick, tick, this little app populates a whole new thing, a list of things that I've got to do. And over and over and over again, every day is like that. You see, it's, it's never really over. It's never really finished. And, and that's the truth for just about all of these things we're talking about, right? Always finished, but never really done. There's always more bills to be paid, even when we're done with college loans. There's uh, a new semester begins after Christmas, after uh, summer, whatever it is, and there's more work to be done. The, the next deployment is only so far away. The laundry, the dishes, the diapers, the mealtimes, every one of these things goes on and on and on. And uh, you ever begin to just wonder, when will it all really be done? When can you just truly rest? My, my hope this morning is that these words of Jesus will, will take us to a place of, of rest where we can start to understand it, at least in one very significant area of our life, uh, uh, one that's going to drive all the other areas of our life. And so then, remember, the, the words that we're looking at today, the words that are on the lips of, of Jesus Christ, the Savior, that, uh, that are spoken by him as he's laying down his life on the cross are, it is finished. Um, we use that word finished a lot, don't we? Um, or some variable of it, right? Uh, uh, and, and there's this question of how exactly does, does Jesus actually intend this word finished? Uh, I know I've mentioned to many of you before, but I grew up the youngest of, of three boys, which meant there were a lot of outdoor activities, a lot of uh, sports outside. There's a four-year gap between myself and then the, the, the middlest or middle child um, and, and my next oldest brother, whose name is Greg. And uh, every year as we were kids, about this time of year, uh, because basketball is on TV, we'd start to play basketball in our, our yard. Um, and, and Greg was always the most competitive of our brothers. You know, he, he wasn't content just to win. He absolutely wanted to destroy me in whatever we were playing. And, and that was just my life growing up. Uh, I, I can remember one time we were playing basketball, and he pushed me so hard that the, the board on the fence actually, like, cracked and went in. And, and he insisted, no, no foul, it was just incidental contact. Um, that's the kind of games we're, we're playing with him. Uh, and, and I'd play as hard as I could against him. I would give everything I had against him. And, and yet there was always this moment, whereas, the, you know, the little brother where everything's starting to get out of hand, it's no longer fun. There's this moment of resignation where I'd shout out something like, I, I quit, uh, I'm done, I hate this stupid game, something along those lines. And that would be the end. And you just knew it was over at that point. And, and it wasn't because the time ran out. It wasn't because one of us actually won the game officially. It, it was just I, I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't go anymore. And we, we see this in a million other places in our life, right? We, you know, the runner is running, and they just stop. They're just done. Or a spouse throws up their arms in frustration and just walks out done with the conversation. Or, you know, the moment that someone decides, I'm quitting this job, I'm, I'm, I'm out of here, I'm done. 
And I mention all this because it might be tempting to look at Jesus on the cross in this moment and, and see him exhausted and see him suffering and, and just tempted to think that in this pain and this agony, as he's going through this rejection of his disciples, the forsakenness of his father, you know, he's dehydrated, he's exhausted. And it's tempting to think that this is the moment that he just resigns himself to defeat. The moment he just gives up and, and, and just lets death overtake him. And so here's what I want us to understand when we look at this, because it'd be easy to think that, but this isn't resignation. This isn't just giving up. It, it, it really isn't. This, this is not a shout of defeat. It's a shout of triumph. And it's difficult to see that at first, but it absolutely is, is triumph. Remember, he is in charge of every little aspect of this. He, he is laying down his life. It is not being taken from him. But, but this is a moment of triumph. It's, it's like that moment when you, you beat a video game or you complete a big project, right? The, the last out of the world series or you, you put the last puzzle piece in that you found somewhere across the room eventually, right? It's that moment of just done, complete. And so this statement of Jesus today is, is that. It's also one single word in the, in the Greek. Uh, Greeks like that. You get a lot more English out of a single word in the Greek. Uh, it is, I think, perhaps the most important single word ever spoken. And the Greek, the Greek word is tetelestai. Um, and as you probably know from your English translation in front of you, it just means it is finished. It's, it, it's what's called a, a perfect tense, uh, which is just a grammatical, statement that is a grammatical statement that is telling us that whatever is complete is complete forever. Okay, it's not like your dishes. It's done forever. Uh, it, it's used, uh, it was used in Roman business culture, in fact, to signify when a, when a business transaction was complete. Say someone owed a debt or they purchased something. This, this is the word that would be written across it, right? To tell us that it was written across the do document to, to show that this has indeed been paid in full, which is very fitting when we realize just what Jesus has completed here. And, and yet there's still this question, what exactly is, is Jesus saying he finished? There's actually a, a few things here that have been finished. First of all, all the messianic prophecies have been uh, completed, finished. See, when we, when we ask about who is Jesus, you know, you can, people like to ask that question. You get all kinds of crazy answers in the world, but, but hopefully if someone were to ask you, it would at least be vaguely informed by the Apostles' Creed, something like, uh, you know, Jesus is fully God and fully man, that he was born of, of Mary, who was truly a virgin, that, that Jesus did miracles, not tricks, but actual uh, nature, law of nature-defying miracles. He, he died upon a cross and he was buried that he rose from the grave on the third day, and, and that Jesus will return uh, to judge the living and the dead. And, and all of this is true, and, and yet you've got to realize that Jesus wasn't born into a vacuum. He was born into this Jewish expectation of what the Messiah was expected to be. You see, as you, you go through the Old Testament, there's over 300 Old Testament prophecies uh, meaning things that should be true about whoever the Messiah is or things that the Messiah would do or that would happen to the Messiah. Uh, over 300 of them, and, and Jesus fulfills these prophecies. And so in one sense, Jesus is telling us that he has fulfilled the scriptural expectations of the Messiah. The second thing he's fulfilled is the law. Uh, Jesus in his life has both taught the law and kept the law, kept it absolutely perfectly. He's done what Moses and Abraham and, and Isaac and David and Rahab and Sarah and Joseph and, and what every single one of us has failed to do. 
and that's to keep the law perfectly. It says, uh, Romans 8 says, you know, Jesus fulfills the law in us. It's, it's, it's not that we do the law. He, he does it for us. He's completed what he said in Matthew 5, 17. And, and there it says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And he has. He's kept the law and he's fulfilled all these perfectly. He's finished that. Uh, the third thing, third thing, Jesus completed the work that began even before Adam fell in the garden, even before the creation of the world. He has completed the work that God has given him to do, namely reconciling men and women to God. He says in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Or, or is it 1 Peter 3.18 states, For Christ also suffered once for, the, for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That's reconciliation. He's done everything that the Father has desired him to do during his life. Um, you know, that was his desire over and over again. The thing that's amazing is that you see Jesus always about the will of the Father, the will of the Father, the will of the Father. Um, he says in John 4.34, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And we, we, we see it again, right? As Jesus prays the, the high priestly prayer in John 17, verse 4, when he prays, I glorify you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And he set out to do the will of the Father, and he's finished it completely. Absolutely finished it. And the most significant thing that, that the Father sent him to do was to be the true sacrifice. You likely know that uh, there were sacrifices in the Old Testament. And those sacrifices were a, a picture of what needed to be done by Jesus. It was a picture. In Hebrews 9.22, God's word teaches, as it says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So we know blood must be shed. A payment needed to be made, which goes right along with, with, with this word that we're talking about, right? So tell us that. Uh, you know, it marks a, you know, a payment being made. And, and here's the thing. If you look in the book of Leviticus, uh, you probably know this book because whenever you try to read the Bible in a year, it's the one that, that slows you down and, and it just drags to a halt when you get to it uh, until you can finally get through it. But, but it's actually full of some amazing stuff. Uh, so maybe you never made it to chapter 16, but if you had uh, made it to chapter 16, you'd find out that it describes this... Uh, this celebration called Yom Kippur, uh, two Hebrew words, Jewish words there. Uh, it's what the Israelites considered the absolute holiest day of the year. Uh, Yom means day, and, and Kippur is this word for uh, to atone. So it's the day of atonement, it's what they would call it. Uh, and atonement, right, is not a word we use often. It's a big theological word, and it, it means to make uh, amends to make restitution, to, to pay for something. This was the day that the Jews looked at as, as the day that sins are, are to be paid for. And this is, this is what they would do on this day. They would take two goats, two live goats, and the high priest would take these goats to the door of the temple, and, and they would present them to God. These are a gift. And, and I know it's gruesome, but I, I've got to tell you, you've got to know that, that the priest would then take one of those goats, and, and they'd slit his throat. It was a sacrifice. There was blood, right? It was, it was gross. And then the blood was, was taken into the Holy of Holies 
on the hyssop branch, like we talked about last week, where, where God was thought to be present there, and the holies of holy, where he was present. And, and the blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat, which is a, a phrase that's referring to the, um, the Ark of the Covenant, the lid over that, and it would be sprinkled on there. And so there was a blood sacrifice. The idea was that this would satisfy God's demand for justice, that it would pay for their sin. And so then the priest would, would then take the other goat, the one that's, that's still alive, and he'd place both his hands upon the head of this goat, and he'd begin to confess uh, the sins of Israel. This was a, uh, an act of identification. He becomes the representative of Israel here. And, and so with his hands on there, he just begins to confess all the sins of, of Israel. And, and the idea was that their sin was transferred to this goat, all their, all their hatred of others, their coveting of what, what was not theirs, all their dishonesty, all their unfaithfulness, every sin, large and small, was transferred to this goat. It says, Leviticus 16.22 tells us, it says, the goat shall bear all, the, all their iniquities on itself. That's, that's the picture here. And so when the priest was done confessing all these sins, they would just send the goat out into the wilderness, uh, send it away from them. It would carry their sins out of the community, out of sight, just gone. You've probably figured it out by now, but this is where the term scapegoat comes from that we, we use in our vernacular. Uh, and, and remember, though, it's important to understand, these are a picture for Israel. See, the first goat was a picture of the payment that God demands for sin. And the second goat was a picture of their guilt and all the consequences of guilt being removed from them completely, put away. But these are only pictures. They're foreshadowings. It couldn't accomplish what really needed to be accomplished. And we know this for certain because Hebrews 10.4 tells us it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. And so if the blood of bulls and goats can't take away sin, something else must, right? It was impossible for them. And, and that's why they would, they would get two new goats every single year. Every single year they would repeat this process once again. It was never completed, never finished, never over, doing it again and again. There are Jewish uh, groups today that continue to do this. But, but like I said, the, the goats... And all the Old Testament sacrifices, really, they're, they're just pictures. They're not, they're not reality of the redemption that we truly need. Um, Laura and I had this, this student years ago in Kansas City who uh, studied art in college. I'll never forget, we were sitting down with her once, and um, we were telling her, I think you might have been there, but um, we were asking her, like, with fake things. We were like, could you just describe this piece of art for us? And it'd be like uh, a milk jug that's half empty or something like that. Uh, and she would kind of do that thing where she'd shake her head and, and do the thinking noise, you know, hmm. And, and then no matter what it was, she would start to tell us about these, these redemptive themes. You know, there's these redemptive themes. Don't you see them? Uh, you know, and, and eventually she told us, anytime you're with serious art people, all you've got to do is talk about the redemptive themes. No one will ever question whether you know what you're talking about. Um, so that's been my way of working ever since. Um, but here's the thing. Here in the Old Testament sacrifices... You don't have to pretend there's these redemptive themes. They're there. There, there truly are these redemptive themes and these, these pictures, these, these works. But when we look to Jesus on the cross, and this is what you've got to know, when we look to Jesus on the cross, it's no longer a picture. This is reality. It, it's real. It's, it's as though we're at the, I don't know where it is, where the, you're looking at the Mona Lisa, right? And then you turn your head, and there's Lisa right next to you, right? 
It's the real thing, and she really smiles that way. Um, that's what I'm talking about. One's the picture, one's the real thing, and, and Jesus on the cross is what all those pictures before pointed to. This is the reality. And so on the cross, when Jesus' blood is shed and his body is broken, it's not just a picture, it's the actual payment of our sin. It's the real sacrifice for every man, woman, and child who is united to Christ by faith. And, and the cross is not repeated every year. It's not. The sacrifice was once. It's over. It didn't sac- Jesus didn't sacrifice every year. And, and he isn't because when he gives his life on the cross, the atonement is complete absolutely complete. It's done. It is finished. Our sin was transferred to Jesus. Every lust-filled glance of the eyes, every dishonest academic endeavor, every ignored opportunity to care for those in need, every pushing aside of what we know to be right so we can do what we know to be wrong, Every sentence of of slander and gossip is all transferred to Jesus on the cross. And and with this sacrifice complete, it's removed. Truly removed. This Colossians 2, 13 and 15 tells us, God has forgiven our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Remember the, the word we're talking about today, that's to telstai. It's, it's, it's printed uh, across death, right? Canceling it out, marking it out, paid in full. That's what we're talking about here. This is where you can find some rest, because if your faith is in Jesus Christ, then your list of sins uh, has to telestai. It, has, it is finished, printed across it, written across it in the indelible blood of a Savior. And when he says it's finished, It is finished, not just for today, not just for this year, not just for the seven years, but finished forever. And so, Christian, let me ask you this. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus has completed all that needs to be done for your salvation? Or or do you find yourself still wanting to add to it, still wanting to complete it, right? I think sometimes we act like, like what Jesus did was, was deliver an Ikea box to our house or any toy that you've ever ordered off Amazon, right? As if it comes with the, uh, the small type, some assembly required. As if it's, you know, thank you, Jesus, for this Ikea box, and, and then we're just going to go to work with our little Allen wrench and try to figure out what this is talking about. As though, you know, that's, you know we, we must look to Christ, though, with faith alone because Jesus has done all the work it has finished for us. Plus, we, we tend to mess things up when we, when we seek to add to what is finished. Um, I still remember the first time I went to Arrow Coffee, if you're not from around here, um, the trendy little coffee shop. They make great coffee. Um, but I'll never forget kind of going in there wanting to know what the experience is. And, uh, and the guy behind the counter, I told him it's my first time, and, and he measures the beans in grams. So we're getting really exact here. And then he grinds them in front of me, and they get them all there, and he heats the water to some perfect temperature. And then he does the theatrical twirling pour-over thing. Um, and, and I'm not used to seeing this. I'm watching the whole thing. It's intriguing. And, 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 and he's giving it to him, and he knows it's my first time, and so he's waiting for me to taste it and, and tell him, you know, see how impressed I am, but what he's just done. And, and for some dumb reason, rather than tasting it, I, I, I look at it and I say, it looks great. Where can I get the half and half? And his face absolutely betrayed him. I had no idea, but I offended him greatly. Um, 
greatly. Uh, and it occurred to me that he'd worked so hard to bring out the flavors in this coffee. This was this perfect cup of coffee that I'm supposed to be amazed by. And, and here I am wanting to add to it, wanting to ruin all of his work. Maybe that, that illustration didn't work, though. You might agree with me, right, that, that coffee needs cream. That's the way it should be. Um, so, you know, <laughs> say Laura makes an amazing chocolate silk pie, and it's done, and, and I come in, and I find it on the counter. I'm like, this looks great. Let me just add something to it. It'll be perfect. And I just start squeezing sriracha sauce on it. Now you get the picture. I've just ruined something that was perfect to begin with. It is, you're looking like this is an idea, maybe? <laughs> it, it's only going to ruin it if we add sriracha to a beautiful pie like that and, and we're only going to, to ruin this perfect work of Christ for us if, if we start trying to add our works to us because it's not only finished it's perfect there is nothing you can add there's nothing you need to add but there's nothing you can add to the perfect work of Christ and Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 tells us for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. And then very specifically, not a result of works so that no one may boast. See, we, we come to this, we should be grateful to the Lord. We should be in awe of, of what Jesus has done for you, but, but do not add to the finished work of Christ. Don't do that. You know, believe what God's word says. Believe here when, you know, that God is satisfied with the work of Christ. So you can be satisfied with the work of Christ as well. So what's this all mean for us? Um, try to bring it back around. How many of you find life just, just feels busy sometimes? I mean, shake your head. Let me know. Am I the only one who feels? Okay, that's what I thought. Um, it just feels busy sometimes. And, and part of it is, you know, this American culture is apparently a busy culture. We don't even know it sometimes. And, and you know, it's not bad to be busy doing things. There's a lot of good things to be doing. It's, it's good to be busy with your family, with your friends, with your, your covenant community members. You know, it's busyness. You, you're busy coming to church or small groups. It's good to go to cookouts or crawfish boils, to play wiffle ball in the park. It's, it's good to actually do your chores, right? Everyone around you enjoys it when you mow your lawn eventually. Um, changing the oil in your car. These things have to get gun, done. You know, gutting the bathroom for a remodel. These is busy work that needs to get, get, get done. Uh, exercising just, just for health, for your goodness, or uh, maybe as an attempt to make up for bad decisions at lunchtime. But, you know, these kind of things are good to do. Brushing your teeth, hopefully twice a day. We want to be busy spending our time in the, in the scripture so we can know what God reveals in these pages to us. To, you know, doing things is good, but sometimes it all just adds up. And so it's not, really not a surprise that we feel so tired and so worn out sometimes. It's another thing that we've got to do. So it's, it's paramount, I believe, that, that you find rest in the gospel, rest in what, what Jesus has eternally done for you. And I mean that. We don't focus on this enough. You, you can rest in the knowledge that even if you don't finish everything you've got to do today, even if it falls behind and your to-do list gets, gets longer than it started at the beginning of the day, beginning of the day that, that the only thing that really needs to be done in your life, truly done for the sake of eternity, that it is done for you, that Jesus has finished on the cross for you because the only thing that needs to be done is that your sin is forgiven by the Savior, the only one who can do it. And so if your faith is in Jesus, he's atoned for you. 
He has paid for your sins, your real sins. And, and so you can say, you can say, you know, in, in Christ, I live by his performance, not mine. Love the, the beautiful words of uh, Horatius Boner's hymn. Uh, upon a life I did not live, upon a death I did not die. His last phrase here is beautiful. He says, another's death, another's life, I cast my soul eternally. So brothers and sisters, when we learn to rest in the gospel, when, when the world around us falls apart, rest in the gospel. Learn to, to run to the arms of the Savior when you are exhausted and your energies are out. You know, you may have a lot to do today or this week, but I want you to remember that, that the, you can rest in the finished work of, cross, uh, of Jesus on the cross, for you can rest because what Jesus finished is really, truly finished. That's a lot of pressure off our shoulders when we know it, when we know it to be true. Um, I'll be honest, this has been one of the more exhausting weeks of my life. Um, you know, it's kind of uh, emotionally, physically. I, I found that, you know, you can't, you can't bring anyone's loved ones back to life. You can't heal broken bones for people. You can't heal emotional pain that they, people are going through. I, I have felt the limitations of my humanity this week in uh, giant ways. And in God's providence, I'd say this is the exact passage that I've needed to be, uh, to be in. And, and, and I know that it's what your soul needs as well. To know what Christ has done for you. It is freeing in so many ways the rest of our life. To know that, that there's not a list that we must complete to receive the forgiveness of sin. There's nothing you're doing to earn your way into the family of God. We only need to believe that Jesus is Lord. And, and by the grace of God, he even provides the faith to believe that. So I want to bring our, our time to a close today just by reading these, these words that Jesus spoke on another occasion uh, in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Um, I mean, hear these words. I'm quoting Jesus. If you're in Christ, this is your Savior speaking to you. If you're not, this is Jesus who can be your Savior if you'll look to him with faith speaking to you. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. Lord God, on the cross, the history of redemption was brought to its glorious fulfillment. And give us eyes to see our, our sinfulness. Give us eyes to see our need of a Savior. And give us faith to believe that indeed Jesus is that Savior. May we find rest for our souls in the glorious truth of the gospel. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.